Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm your radio, radio show. I'm your radio, radio show. Welcome to the Another Nine Podcast. On this week's podcast, we'll be talking about our favorite albums of the week from Rosalia and Julia Halter. And we'll also be uh, looking at songs of the week from Ariana Grande, LCD Sound System and more. Uh, but first, we usually start the show with, uh, well, hold on, I should say hello to Andrea, who's also here. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Niall. How are you? <laughs> we just discuss- I am also here. Yeah, we were just discussing um, that, uh, you know, any if ever Andrea can come, we're just going to sample, uh, record her saying, yes, I agree. I agree. Good point, Niall. <laughs> so she is actually in the room, thankfully. I'm here. Um, but we are here. It is the 909 Podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, what we usually do at this point in uh, is talk a bit about what's going on in news and but to be honest if you've heard last week's uh, episode we did reasons to be cheerful because the we clocks, were a bit glum we were a bit glum last week I'm still <laughs> a bit glum to be honest I think it's the weather it's dark and it's dreary and all that stuff that we're used to in November um, and, and the, the news generally just hasn't been any back. good yeah the news is all like we, we were looking at stuff for the news this week we were like Oh, it's all really? either bands breaking up, cease and desist letters to stop Trump p- playing things at his rallies, political stuff like at midterm elections. And it's like, Ugh. yeah. So instead of giving you a big meh, what we thought we'd do instead uh, to start off the show is um, one of the things that Andrea has brought into this show is uh, the playlists that appear every now and again are top five. Yes. In this case, it's going to be a top six. Uh, we're going to do a top six of the Beastie Boys. Hey. They are one of my favorite bands uh, ever. And as we discussed last week, um, you may have it yourself. They released a Beastie Boys book, which is pretty much the last thing that the band will ever release officially as as far as I can gather as in a new thing sure Um, they uh, as you may know uh, the Beastie Boys uh, were and are um, 
well, were really a, a New York band who uh, made a lot of uh, rap music um, since 1987 over like a 30, nearly 40 year career. Um, and Adam Yoke, one of the founding members, died in 2012. Um, and they said they'd never make any more music without him ever again. That's because the Beastie Boys really is the story of three friends who started out in New York in, in the early 80s uh, in punk and hardcore bands and uh, went on to do crazy things in uh, in a frat boy style uh, when they started out with License to Ill along with Rick Rubin and stuff like that. And then they went on to do all this other uh, interesting and uh, repentant kind of music as well and uh, music inspired by funk and uh, back to some hardcore stuff and some jazz and tropicalia. So look, they did a bit of everything. So that's kind of are, I believe, going to chart this journey in yeah. this playlist that you've made. So I'm, I'm very excited because <laughs> I'm like, I I really, really like the Beastie Boys, but I haven't done a deep dive. Oh, right. so I, okay. I, I, I don't know the deep cuts. So I'm um, really excited to hear the ones that you've picked that I don't know. And yeah, yeah I think I have a mix here for you for stuff you may know and stuff that uh, is very familiar. Um, but I think all in all, um, some of it's inspired by the book itself. The book mm-hmm. is a great read. Uh, in typical Beastie Boys fashion, it's not just a... Uh, memoir. It's it's got a graphic novel in it. Loads of photography. They were always a cool looking band, yes. and they had like Spike Jones uh, doing photos for them and stuff like that. And they always had a lot of um, consideration for style and jokes and humor and all that kind of stuff. So in the book, there is actually a fake um, review of one of their uh, albums that's hilarious. I actually. I had to look it up afterwards and see if it existed. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it does, but it's really, really funny. Um, and then there's other random chapters. Um, there's a chapter written about um, Adam Yauch, uh, MCA's uh, alter ego, who made their videos. Um, mm-hmm. Videos was the other thing they're known for. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but uh, the Natalia Hornblower is the uh, Swiss uncle that he uh, adopted as his alter ego to create the videos uh, most famously in terms of pop culture people might know him from the guy that got up on stage at an MTV awards and said because uh, they didn't win an award before Kanye did it mm-hmm. uh, and uh, in, a, in a tash and uh, leader hose and it was like this is bullshit I've got the idea I had the ideas for Star Wars and everything so like, <laughs> uh, get crashed the stage um, but Wes Anderson writes a weird little biography uh, about Nathaniel Hornblower, who doesn't even exist. So um, they were re- really cool, weird bands. They were like the first band that I just loved. Um, so what I'm going to do now is just take you through a little bit of their career in a way. Um, they started, I guess, back in, I think it was 1986, with a weird song called Cookie Puss that was basically a novelty song about a, a, a cake that was also an ice cream cake. Um, of course. As, as you do and it was a prank call kind of thing typical um, first song you yeah. know first big release thing was it was quite popular at the time so it got them a bit of notice they started out in punk and hardcore bands uh, bands like Bad Brains and stuff like that they were big fans of and uh, so then they turned to rap um, there's a lot of it in the book actually about um and it's great because it gives you both sides in terms of they had uh, the drummer Kate Schallenbach who went on to uh, be in Luscious Jackson um, she was in the band in the Beastie Boys in, in an early iteration That's before they cool. met uh, Rick Rubin who kind of forced her out and Boo. They, at, as 16, 17 year olds they kind of like ditched their friend and they really are 
quite apologetic about it now, um, but they give her a chapter to kind of give her a perspective on it, which is really interesting. Um, they would later, and they've made up since, um, they would later go on to release a Luscious Jackson um, record in the 90s on their own label, Grand Royal. Um, but we're going to start with a song from probably the release that they tried to get away from mm. the entire time since then, um, since 1986. Licensed to Ill was released on Def Jam Records, the uh, rap label started by Russell Simmons, and uh, the album was produced by Rick Rubin. Um, and he, as many people would know, Rick Rubin now is a, kind of a big name producer in lots of ways, and he revitalized the careers of Johnny Cash by doing covers and stuff like that, and many, many other things. But in the early days, he was known for mixing rock and rap, and that's what he did with Run DMC. So this song actually is, uh, the Beastie Boys toured a lot with Run DMC in the early days. Uh, so this song is actually a Run DMC offcut that they didn't feature on their album. Ah. Um, but it really is indicative of the sound of License to Ill and the frat, fratty boys they were initially taking the piss out of, which then they then became. Um, there's uh, a lot of the book is actually about, I'd say nearly half of the book is actually about the period from when they formed. And growing up in a weird, grimy New York and getting into clubs like Danceteria when they're 15 and 16, up until um, uh, the period that passes where they end up in Liverpool and kind of inciting riots and, and being blamed for being boogeymen and mm-hmm. one of them ends up in jail. Um, so there's a lot of that in the book. But the first song I'm going to play is very indicative of what's going, what goes on in that on that album, License Ill. It is called Slow and Low. Slow and Low from License to Ill. The album sold millions and millions of copies and they uh, toured with Madonna for some reason, which they talk about in the book <laughs> For well. some reason. Um, well, it just didn't really make sense because yeah. they were basically making children cry yeah. who were dressed up to go see Madonna with their parents. And they had ended up with, because they were kids who were given access to too much money mm. and they had stupid ideas, they um, realised those stupid ideas in big ways, including like having uh, girls in cages on stages and uh, then like a giant um, hydraulic penis um, that they also put up on stage, which turns out they were paying storage fees for for 30 (laughs) years in a a storage place in New Jersey. And apparently uh, they only found that out recently. Is that for sale now anywhere? Is it available to the the public? The staff of the storage place uh, take it out once a year at their Christmas party. That's hilarious. Um, So that's what happened. Um, (laughs) So I guess, you know, they started 
started as these uh, bratty, uh, annoying dudes who uh, kind of taking the piss out of frat boys and then turned into them. And we're just drinking beer and being annoying the whole time. So when it came to the end of their first album, they parted ways with uh, Russell Simmons and uh, Rick Rubin, partly because they didn't pay them the royalties in after the first album. They made a lot of money and they refused to give them the royalties saying that you have to basically do a follow-up before you get your money, um, which ah. they decided, no, we're not doing that. Um, there's a really good book called 33 and a Third, one of the 33 and a Third series about Paul's Boutique, their second album, which goes into way more detail than the book does about their second album because it is a bit of a groundbreaking release. Paul's Boutique was made when the band went to LA and met the Dust Brothers and got really heavily into sampling and just um, living in LA and it has a very different sensibility to the first album. It was released in 1989, three years later, but by the time they came back, it was a whole lot of stuff going on. They signed Capitol Records for a lot of money, but <laughs> one of the things that happened is that uh, by the time the album came out, they had an A&R guy and it kept changing and chopping and changing and they literally basically got bumped um, in terms oh. of like promotion and all that kind of stuff. So... The album was critically very well received, but it never really got uh, pushed by the label. And uh, bit of it, a cat power situation going on. Maybe yeah, it was apparently it was a done of an album that the Capitol Records wanted really? to push. <laughs> they were like, "Look, it's not your turn now. It's Donovan's turn." It's clearly Donovan's and moment. They were like what? Okay, and then they got quite disillusioned. But it is unfortunate because I mean, it's now considered a bit of a classic Paul's mm-hmm. boutique because it has. One thing that you could say about Paul's Week is that you could never make that album ever again um, because it has so many uncleared samples on it. Mm. <laughs> Apparently, they I think a lot of... There's, there's so many samples on that album that they can't actually count them. And uh, probably a song that's indicative of, of that as a whole is the second song, uh, Shake Your Rump. There's uh, a lot of samples in this. I'll tell you what they are. Some of them are um, shortly, but uh, this is uh, Shake Your Rump. Boutique, um, that song has a lot of samples in it, uh, including Funky Snake, Bo- Snake Foot by Alphonse Muzon, uh, a lot of songs from the Car Wars soundtrack, um, funny enough, and tracks like uh, Funky 4 Plus 1, and Bob Marley's in there somewhere, Could You Be Loved, uh, The Sugar Hill Gang, and African Bambada also. Um, it really is indicative of, of the album as a whole, which is still... I think it holds up in its own way. There is a lot, uh, you can see them kind of move away from that kind of, um, they're still very whiny mm. um, in terms of their vocal delivery, but uh, they're kind of de- starting to develop their own thing. And uh, what I love about the album is just the insane amount of samples in it. 
like it samples Bernard Herrmann's um, soundtrack to Psycho and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's quite, Jimmy, would that be quite indicative of the time as well in, in hip hop where everything was really sample heavy in the kind uh, of late I don't 80s. think so. Because I think they... Or are, are we past that at this stage? Eh? Not even in it yet. Oh, I don't sorry. Think. Okay, yeah, so right. This is before all that stuff and they kind of killed it, really. Okay. Um, They're kind of pioneering this. Well, I mean, uh, rap songs were definitely built on samples, but yeah. none were like thrown into a washing machine sure. in the same way yeah. that this song shows you that they just like pile them on top of each other mm. in, in a crazy way. A lot of that is down to the Dust Brothers who uh, would later go on to produce the likes of Beck and stuff like that. Um, but who at the time were not, you know, they did a lot of uh, interesting music, but I think Paul's boutique is their apex and they like they sampled the Beatles on, on the album mm. and they sampled Johnny Cash and you just stuff you could never get away with now. Yeah, absolutely um, But not. I think the, uh, whatever, the statute of limitations on, on um, clearance and, and uh, suing them for that is now over. Mm. So it's an album that exists in the world that you can never actually release um, without having a lot of money as some kind of art project. Yeah. So that's about the only way you could do it. Um, so at this point, I guess the Beasties were in LA and uh, so they were quite dejected with what was happening. Their uh, second album didn't go as well as planned and they barely did any shows um, around this. Um, so they came about three years later in 1992, they released Check Your Head and uh, what Check Your Head does is uh, kind of have the band, bring the band back to them playing their own instruments again. So it's definitely a rap album, but there's a lot of like funk in there as well. Um, they did a lot of stuff where they sampled their own music and that's one of the things that I always like if I was ever in a band is one of I used to think when I was a kid I was like if I ever wanted to start a band what I would do is do what the Beasties would do they just like would play hours and hours of music and then just uh, listen back sample some of the stuff and build tracks out of it that's cool and I always liked that idea that you know you're kind of sampling yourself mm-hmm. and I really like that so um, a good example of that and I think they've done it really well on this song it's called Pass the Mic um, and one of the things they do, if you listen out for the drums on this, uh, the book actually talks a lot about Adam Yoke, uh, his influence in terms of uh, being a very kind of visionary person, a person who was very, um, who knew stuff that no one else did in terms of recording and technology and um, loads of other things. But um, one of the things they said about these drums was that they recorded them um, by basically putting a big, long, getting a lot of cardboard boxes putting him up against the drum kit, uh, the kick drum, and just putting a mic about 10 feet away all mm-hmm. the way. So they just built this like tunnel of boxes. And that's how the kick drum for this song is recorded in their g studios, inspired by Led Zeppelin, um, John Bonham, who actually they sampled on on their very first album, um, Rhyming and Stealing. Um, and so this is an example of that. This is uh, Pass the Mic.
Pass the Mic from uh, the Beastie Boys Check Your Head from 1994 their third or 1992 their uh, third album and uh, you can hear there there's samples in there there's live drums there's a uh, the uh, bass line is sample and later on in the track they actually well actually they sample Bad Brains as well that's the heavy kind of rock bit which was a band that they I think they might have met, if I'm memory serves me correct they actually met at a Bad Brain show uh, mm. themselves so that kind of like punk and hardcore thing was always in the background somewhere and uh, one of the things the book talks about in terms of Adam Yoke as a bass player um, there's a <laughs> it's a great story about him getting up to play uh, just without telling Aerosmith um, when they were on stage playing with Run DMC doing and they walked this way and he just got on stage and started playing bass with him and he was like what the, like, what the hell is this going on <laughs> uh, but he loved this um, this uh, FX pedal called a, um, a ter- well he had a Terminator like a fuzz bass pedal um, super fuzz box I think it was called um, and he had a Terminator switch like a like a um, the way that DJs cut a record he would cut his bass like that so there's a lot of if you listen to any of their heavy bass lines there's some of that stuff happening at the end of that song as well so uh, a good example so at this point, I guess, um, you know, they kind of started to be considered cool. It was the rise of uh, mid-90s MTV. Um, Nirvana were co- were coming on the scene. The grunge was happening. So the Beastie Boys were always part of that. Um, and their kind of humor had matured into this kind of like silly um, camaraderie that they had, that every interview they had was basically just them riffing off each other. Mm. I think um, this is where I met them. Yeah. When I was quite young, but this is where I was first exposed to them was yeah. that kind of mid-90s. Yeah, so the next album was actually the album that got me into the BC Boys because I got it off my sister. Um, it is called Ill Communication in 1995. It was released in 1994, but my sister had a 60-minute tape and a cassette tape in her in her room along with like Babes of Thailand and uh, uh, like Pearl Jam and stuff like that, Nirvana, Incesticide, stuff like that. And I heard this, and it fits perfectly on a 60 minute tape. That's the oh. good thing about it. Um, and it's really, really cool. And so, Ill Communication is kind of the development of what they did on Check Your Head. It's kind of got some of that funk stuff, um, a lot more samples, a lot of um, a lot of really cool rap songs, um, like Root Down and Sure Shot. Sure Shot was the one that kind of got me mm-hmm. into the band. Um, it's the first song on the record, and it's twenty. There's twenty tracks on the record, um, but I guess the one thing that one song that everybody would know from the Beastie Boys is Sabotage, and uh, Amy Poller does a bit in the book about their music videos, and I think that's kind of worth mentioning because. The Beastie Boys videos were became a, a calling card for them, and and the sabotage video is a, an encapsulation of all that is silly about the Beastie Boys. Like totally. they love dressing up. They always talk about dressing up. So there's a lot of wigs and mustaches and stupid shit happening. Spike Jones directs the video. It was huge at the time. Mm. It was so big, like it was huge, like MTV huge. You know, it, it's one of the first music videos that I remember seeing on TV. It, like I obviously would have seen it a few years later when it was still being played because I was really quite young when this came out. But I always thought it was what what grabbed me about this video and this song and therefore the Beastie Boys generally was how silly they were yet how kind of seriously they seem to be taking it. I, yeah. I find that just hilarious. Like in the video for Sabotage, their faces are so straight. Like yeah. they're like, we are taking this very, very seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the thing that I always got about the Beasties. They were just like these... Um, this gang you wanted to be a part of and they made these like 
cool stupid videos yeah. that were just like oh god it's so good and Spike Jones directs it and you and wanted to be in brilliant. on the joke I think yeah. like you you wanted to be like oh, I, I get it guys and like with, with their endless pop culture references and like references to TV characters you never even heard of yeah you're just never quite sure if, you, if you're in on the joke but totally. like, you know, it's kind of that like pouring over lyrics to figure out what the hell they're talking about um, Amy Poller in the book uh, kind of credits the sabotage video with um, she says I truly believe there would be no anchor Man, no Wes Anderson, no Lonely Island videos, and no channel called Adult Swim if this video did not exist. Maybe overstating it slightly. Big statement. Um, but, you know, that just shows you kind of how people can uh, would perceive the Beastie Boys and the sabotage video. And this is the song, and I think this is encapsulates um, what we've been talking about, their punk and hardcore roots and all of their... Um, uh, rap and this is kind of the apex of all of that bringing that um, their live instrumentation um, the uh, DJing and scratching and um, the kind of it is it is kind of a, like a shouty punk song but it has totally. a, a total like a hip hop style to it so this is Sabotage of course Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, still one of my favourite songs ever made. And still, you know, every time you put it, it comes on, I'm just like, I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't turn it off, possibly. And it's also, like, it just shows you, I've heard, I've seen bands cover this, and you can watch bands cover it on YouTube, and it's just doesn't have the same alchemy I'd really rather it. not watch anybody yeah. cover this I, would, I wouldn't honest. recommend it's it like, but like yeah. it's one of those songs that like it's deceptively simple mm. but it's really hard to pull off like I think m- musically you can totally replicate it but those vocals like you you can't like yeah, the, it's yeah. it's so itself that comes from you know the the time they spend like rapping and learning their craft when you know really when we're talking about Cookie Bus when they're doing that like it was so bad mm. like they couldn't rap for shit <laughs> but they brought that kind of punk energy to that the rap um, thing that stuff that they did and this kind of brings all that together and that was why the song was so big as well mm. as being an absolute jam um, and I think around this time it was when they started like Adam Yauch particularly started to um, look at things differently in terms of his life he got into snowboarding 
and uh, started getting into Buddhism and uh, there's a lot towards the end of this album. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. <laughs> Where there's like a, the closing, two of the closing songs um, are sample a uh, Buddhist chanting um, and there's a lot of kind of talk of enlightenment and then in Sure Shot as well like because they were called the Beastie Boys and they were always like very uh, you know masculine but they talk about like um, atoning for their sins past sins by disrespecting the women has got to, got to be true and actually the next song um, from their the album that followed up was which was Hello Nasty when they came back to New York um, is a good example of that um, because this is again totally different from all that stuff but it has all the funk um, a lot of uh, some lyrics about you know uh, respecting women which um, you know and I think that's really it's it's worth reminding yourself that you know, we talk a lot sometimes about, you know, questionable favorites, whether you should mm. like music or people who, you know, people grow and people change. But, you know, whether you would be allowed the time to uh, to do that now yeah. is a, is a, an unusual thing. You just don't know if you would get it. Yeah. And be able to, like, basically apologize for your past behavior on a record. And um, I think if, even if, if an artist now did that, it would be notable. I think you and I would talk about that yeah. on this podcast. You know, we'd be like... Like, oh, so-and-so has a tone for their behavior. And to do this, what, 20, how many years ago? Well, yeah, I mean, like, that was, night, well, in communication 1994, so we're talking, um, yeah, like eight years later. Um, they're finally, like, saying, oh, we were actually yeah, bad like, lads. But, but for, like, a, a male group in the late 90s to come out and yeah, this essentially like, apologize. There wasn't or, a Me Too movement yet. So No, um, that's the thing. It's, but they yeah. were pretty obnoxious in the early days. Um, mm-hmm. So this is an example from Hello Nasty. Hello Nasty is actually my favorite album. And on the book, in the book, um, Adam Harvest, uh, Ad-Rock says it's his favorite as well. Um, I, I think it's my favorite because I just listen to it constantly. I remember being on a holiday in France in in the summer of like nineteen ninety eight, um, and listening to this nonstop or ninety nine, whatever one, um, and I just loved it so much. Still do. Um, one of the songs on it, um, that I talked about here is a uh, song for the man. It has uh, a rock singing, uh, and it kind of the first line is what makes you feel. Why you got to be like you got the right to look her up and down. Um, and this song kind of encapsulates all that again in terms of bringing their live instrumentation, um. It's not really a rap song at all, but it does bring in that kind of funk and um, kind of tropicalia elements that they enjoyed. myself to six songs here so there's not a lot from their later career um, but I guess their their best music was in the 90s for sure but I think there was a lot there is a lot to recommend they did a lot of uh, um, instrumental stuff as well they did an album called The Mix Up um, before they finished I think it was 2004 2005 2006 possibly um, and then uh, before that in 2004 they released uh, To The Five Burrs their album that kind of um the whole thing was really a love letter to New York, but it was all um, 
inspired and uh, informed by the fact that a 9-11 had happened. Um, in the book, actually, it's really interesting to hear the um, Ad-Rock talks about how he thinks this album is quite mediocre mm. and they actually, and he feels like they never really encapsulated trying to be serious and trying to be funny at the same time. Okay. He says there's a lot of hesitancy in the, his voice, in their voices throughout the record. I think it's probably a bit harsh, but it's probably doesn't stand up compared to a lot of the other stuff. But um, a good example, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you on this one because um, for this uh, top six, I guess, um, because you know later records came out. The last record they had was Hot Sauce uh, Committee Part Two, and I think a lot of people might know if you're not if you're not familiar with the Beast Boys, you would know um, like the Santi Gold uh, kind of dubby um, pop song that they had on that. Um, that was the last album they they released because Adam Yau died a couple of years later, and it just a year later, and uh, they decided never to release anything again because they were friends first and they remained best of friends throughout all this and still never you know once one is gone you can't continue yeah. um, so the last song I'm going to play is uh, an open letter to NYC um, and I'm bringing it back to their a lot of hardcore and punk um, kind of influences it has a sample of this song on it from the Dead Boys a Cleveland band from 1987 That's the sample that features throughout the song, and this is the track. finish there because you know they started in New York in the early 80s and a lot of uh, where they heard their music and influences from started in New York from boom boxes and, and random uh, stereos around uh, the city in, especially in Manhattan where they grew up and it was not a very gentrified place back then mm-hmm. um, and we finished with that one because an open letter to NYC is their you know love letter to New York and they're even though they lived in LA and worked in LA for a long time and so much stuff happened in between and afterwards. Um, they were a New York band through and through and remain so. So there's a brief synopsis or a brief history of the Beastie, the Beastie Boys. Boys. Thank um, you. Yeah, uh, the Beastie Boys book is great. Um, there's so many um, nuggets of information in there and definitely worth picking up. And uh, the audiobook is great as well. Really, really good. Um, they A lot of people reading um, chapters in it. Uh, the likes of Bette Midler shows up, John Stewart. 
um, Steve Buscemi. Uh, Am I right in thinking that there's a recipe in it? Yeah, there's a whole recipe section. It but, plays with um, form a lot, and <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, cool. There's a graphic novel in there, and uh, all sorts of random stuff. As as the Beastie Boys yeah. were, it truly represents them in terms of how strange and cool and weird they were. So um, that's the Beastie Boys. There, that's my top six. Excellent. Um, so we'll move on um, from the Beastie Boys into songs of the week. Um, what have we got first? We got. Um, a, song, a new song from Ariana Grande. This is called uh, Thank You, Next. That's not what I see. Look what I got. Look what you taught me. Yeah, for that I say. It is a new song. I'll give I'll give your voice a little break now, and I'll uh, I'll <laughs> I'll talk about Ariana Grande. I was talking very, very fast there. <laughs> so um, Ariana Grande had quite the week. Uh, she was named Billboard Woman of the Year this week, which is um, very exciting for her because I think that she really has had an incredible year. Um, previous Women of the Year have included Selena Gomez, Madonna, Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift. So she's up there with with the. The, the best of the best in terms of female pop artists. Um, Thank You Next came out this week uh, or last Friday, I think. It was the same day as Carly Rae Jepsen's um, as she released new music and there was a lot of people on Twitter being like, Ariana, could you not just let her have a day? <laughs> because this song is great. It's it's not, not only a really, really just straight up catchy song, which she's brilliant at doing, always has been. It's a bit of a play on the the form of a breakup song. It's in keeping with 2018 sort of everybody's embracing of sort of self-care and looking after yourself and making sure that you're doing good and learning from your experiences. So she's sort of listing off exes that she has and thanking them for the things that she's learned. Um, she references her ex Pete Davidson as well as uh, Mac Miller. Uh, she's uh, a lyric in it is even though almost got married and for Pete, I'm so thankful. So obviously Mac Miller died earlier this year. Um, so he's, he's mentioned in that. Um, she's had a hard time the last year and a half. Yeah. So. I mean, like when you think back to Ma- Manchester was last year um if yeah. if it, it, it feels like 10 years ago in a way and it also feels like yesterday but from from that moment she's just been like it's it's been said a million times by a million people but she's just been so full of grace and so full of kind of 
uh, the amazing poise that it's it's hard to forget that she's a 25 year old woman um, yeah not, not many people would be able to uh, first of all deal with that in a yeah. way and then come back and still uh, have a very sustaining pop career yeah like uh, it's she's just consistently releasing great great music and doing it with with just such grace like um her her album from earlier this year sweetener was like extremely well received especially by her fans like and her her fans are are growing um <laughs> like it just i think i think in part due to her kind of um the way that she handles herself but it's also in no small part um to do with the amazing pop songs that she's putting out. And this is yet another great banger from Ariana. Yeah, fair play. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, like, it is incredible what she's been through and the fact that she's still rocking it and, and up there and Billboard. Um, accolade is kind of a, you know, a nod to that, I'm sure, as well. Totally, yeah. And not just a musical thing, because I'm sure those awards aren't specifically or just for music. Yeah. Um, so yeah Ariana Grande well done um, doing well um, yeah and then like the Pete Davidson thing only happened like over the summer and yeah it was really recent everything's so raw you know yeah I watch SNL pretty much every week and he was like kind of had a joke about it um, yeah didn't he he proposed to somebody or, yeah. or yeah yeah yeah, he kind of, he got real for a second when he was on it and just kind of gone, hey, she's a great lady and I don't regret a thing and, uh, you know, fair play kind of thing. Yeah. So it was a, a nice way to be. Um, will we move on? Sure. Um, another album that was released uh, in the last week uh, is from Vince Staples. He dropped a 22-minute album called FM and this is one of the tracks from it. It's called Fun. We don't want to fuck for As a taste of Vince Staples, a uh, song is called Fun from his new album FM. The whole album is kind of a short conceptual um, album uh, that kind of harks back to his Summertime 06 hit the album that kind of broke him through. He since released uh, Big Fish Theory, uh, an album that had beats from Sophie and Flume in there and were just like gargantuan. Mm. Not many people can do that in terms of uh, rappers can just like get on any beat. Um, he seems very comfortable in this style. Um, just tunes that absolute slap, you know. They're yeah. just like Oh, they're just total head nodders and uh, he's a really, really amazing rapper. I seen him live uh, twice last year. Uh, was it this year? Primavera and Electric Picnic. Um, and uh, God, he was good. Mm. Um, and he, he's his, very charismatic he, chap He's got his own well, thing yeah. going on yeah. for sure. And uh, I think this is kind of maybe a bit of a stopgap album, but it doesn't feel like a stopgap, even though 
first time I listened to it, I was out for a walk and it was like, oh, it's over. Mm. <laughs> but it was, they're all short songs. Um, there's like, an, this uh, concept is an FM radio thing. So there's an Earl Sweatshirt bit in it um, that stops very abruptly. Um, I think he's a great artist and I think he's one of the few that if you would point to would be even close to be able to matching um, the likes of Kendrick. In terms of uh, in terms of his flow and yeah, kind of in terms his ability, of his ability, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like it, there's so much more to come from him, and he's already giving us great, great music as he does. So in the meantime, um, so that is uh, from FM. That is Vince Staples. Next song is a track I heard this week uh, that I just really liked, and I wanted to play it for you. This mm-hmm. is called uh, "A Real Woman" by Jaguar Dreams. song uh, remind you of anyone? Does it remind me of anybody? Putting you on the spot now. Like, uh, it reminds me of everybody. <laughs> loads. <laughs> there's in loads particular? in there. Um, no, tell me. It reminds me of a, a La Galaxy song, actually. Ah. One, as well as uh, the, the, another New York band, Check, Check, Check. Definitely has that kind of uh, vibe to it, that kind of funky, dancey um Post punky buzz. Uh, they say this, this uh, they are three piece from Brooklyn. Sure, aren't they all? Aren't um, they all? <laughs> this, this song is our party song, this is our jam. It's inspired by late nights in our broken studio with all of our friends selecting and playing random disco and funk tunes from our collection. From old James Brown to Chic to God knows what else. So uh, just a tune I liked, I heard during the week from a new band. Uh, I think it's our third single. Um, they are called Jaguar Dreams. And uh, we stay in New York with a band that are heavily associated with New York. It is LCD Sound System. They released a new track last week. Well, it's a cover of a Heaven 17 song. It is called We Don't Need This Fascist Groove Thing. On the news about this fascist groove thing. Evil men with racist views spreading all across land. Don't just sit there on your ass. I love that funky chain dance. Well, it's just to shoot your best. Need 
as LCD Sound says from their cover of Heaven 17's We Don't Need This Fascist Groove thing, I guess, in maybe a choice of cover inspired by what was going on in America. I at would the time. imagine so. And, and currently, um, it's fine. It's a fine cover. It's grand. Yeah, it still kind of retains a bit of a punk kind of anger. Um but it's it's you know it's it's LCD Sansa. It sounds exactly like LCD Sound System. Yeah. I love um, Nancy Wang, so it's it's nice to hear her kind of foregrounded. Yeah. So this is from the uh, a forthcoming album out on December twenty first. It is uh, the Electric Lady session. So basically, a live studio album uh, featuring their own songs and some covers as well. Um, obviously, recorded in Electric Lady Studios earlier this year in January in New York. Uh, also features they've been playing some covers on their tour if anyone has seen them in uh, in Dublin or anywhere else would know they've been doing Sheik's I Want Your Love so there's mm-hmm. a cover of that on it it'd be nice to hear in recorded form as well as just versions of all the songs as opposed to hearing tour. it live every weekend when it's being played live in Dublin every weekend <laughs> I know they don't play that often <laughs> come, on, come on near enough <laughs> they played like what three times just three just the three just three yeah not as much as Sheik himself come yeah. on come on and you still haven't seen Chic Live, so I still haven't seen Chic Live. Don't, don't fall into the trap. You still I know. See. We're going to buy you tickets for Chic. Yes, I'll so go to go. Chic and I'll review <laughs> for the other one person on this island that hasn't seen Chic Live. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's somebody who hasn't seen LCD yet either. Still, yeah, that's true. Still actually, a fucking yeah. great experience. It's um, br- oh my god, it's it is brilliant. Like, yeah, it really is. <laughs> Um, that is LCD Sensitive, of course. Uh, so that's their cover of Heaven 17. And uh, that is it for our songs of the week this week. Up next, we have a couple of albums that we're digging this week. Uh, uh, Andrea, we're going to start with yours. Uh, we're going to play a bit from one of the songs from uh, the fifth album from um, Julia Holter. Her, it is called Avery. And it was released uh, last Friday. And uh, this is what it sounds like. I Shall Love 2 from Julia Holter's new album. Um, Andrea, tell me why you picked this. Yeah, so I 
This w- this is actually the first album that I've heard of hers and I was just absolutely blown away by it. Um, so she is a American singer, songwriter, record producer, composer, artist. She's sort of a, a Jill of all trades. Um, and I just think this this record is extremely interesting. It's very kind of non-linear and unconventional. Um, it's it's full of those co- kind of swarming or- orchestral sounds that you heard there and her love for kind of more classical music is definitely present within it as well. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because the inspiration on this record span, can span from like Greek plays to French literature to Bjork to spiritualized to Socrates. Like it, it, it really does hit on all of these amazing kind of... I mean, spiritualize the band. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I think in, in, in that uh, track as well, maybe more so in, in the lead up to that ending point, it, it really reminds me of Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space, um, in that it, it, it has this kind of very... It, it, it's got this joyful simplicity to it, but there's, you know, something else within that it, it feels kind of un- intangible and ethereal. Um it's yeah that that one there is I I think a highlight of the record in terms of an introductory song that's the song I'd play from it because the rest of it gets kind of experimental um so yeah it it kind of there's a lot of a, a lot is promised at the beginning you know it 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 opens with one of those one of those tracks that we like to talk about when we're reviewing albums where it's like this is a real indicator of what's to come and it's so true on this record but it's nearly just this cacophony of noise that as you discover each song you unlock something that you've heard before in that first track um, which is really interesting and she has described it as the cacophony of the mind in a melting world <gasps> using the word cacophony there's oh. a lot of uh, dissonant kind of noise in this as well there is a bit of dissonant noise yeah so there's a, a track on it called um, Every Day is an Emergency that I, I think should just sound like noise it's just droning sounds it's got bagpipes in it it's very very strange but it's it it somehow isn't noise it it somehow finds its way to a musical place where it doesn't quite sit comfortably there's kind of a hint of like like the ghost in the machine sort of thing where ev- everything seems compact and laid out and you you can point to all the noises that are happening but there is something else there and it's it's very fun to listen to tracks like that and tracks like the opener and some of the more exper- experimental ones and try to find what it is within it um that is actually ev- evoking things in you you know um it is one of the it, it's it's an album that you get completely lost in like you it sounds exactly like the kind of thing you need to really sit with and, uh, yeah it's and quite long as well isn't it? it it is long I think it's it's 90 minutes I don't think um, a single song is under 6 minutes is one of those yeah, kind of yeah it is quite yeah. long um, very but, different than her other stuff as well which is more dreamy and very direct yeah she'd more singer songwriter sort of she she two albums that uh, seem to be sort of straight, straight up songs uh which which were great but i think that here she's really let off the leash um she's it's a lot more classical and those those longer songs kind of fit into that form it 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 takes her that long to expand and realize an idea it's it, there's there's nothing kind of fluffy on it there's nothing that's there for its own sake it sort of all needs to be 
that well thought and planned out. Um, yeah, really, really interesting record. I'm so happy I, I came across it. Um, it just popped up in like my new releases or something on Spotify and I was like, what? oh, I'll give her a go. It yeah. never happens anymore. Yeah, and I, I, I was absolutely just blown away by it. Um, so yeah, the the other track that I want to kind of highlight from it is that um, that opening track, which it just has so many amazing tones and uh, snippets of melody in it that you do sort of, so some of them you discover later, some of them you don't, but altogether it's, it's very busy and it's, it's very kind as she, she described, um, she, she said that the album, uh, was based on a, um, uh, was based on a, a line from a Lebanese American writer uh, called Etel Adnan. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Um, and the line is, "I found myself in an aviary full of shrieking birds." And this is, I think, the, what, what the musical representation of that would sound like. Uh, it's so really wonderful. This is the wonderful. opening track. Uh, yeah. Turn the light on. of ambient and droney and uh, yeah unusual it's cool um, yeah it's kind of it's dreamy yet kind of nightmarish at the same time <laughs> you know it's, it's got it's got kind of both facets um, how Susie 2018 I know is, a dreamy um, yet nightmarish <laughs> um, um, but yeah I, I really really recommend uh, taking some time out and listening to this album it's nice on a on some kind of public transport while it's raining if if, especially if you're by the window <laughs> that is uh, Julia Halter the album is called Avery uh, she is playing the Button Factory on 8th of December this year um, so you I didn't know that her. I'm really excited there oh my go. god <laughs> um, you talked about her being inspired by some writing uh, our my album of the week is uh, also inspired by some literature uh, specifically medieval literature um, from Spain, as far as I know, a 13th century book about a woman imprisoned by her jealous fiancé. 
which is considered one of the first novels, uh, modern novels. Um, so the album is uh, an artist we talked about a couple of weeks ago called Rosalia. And the album is called El Malquere. I, I don't know, my Spanish is not good. So Is that also the name of the novel? I think so, on? yeah. Okay. So it translates as The Bad Love. Um, the book tells the story of a woman whose jealous husband imprisons her in a tower. When he believes her to be cheating, she eventually escapes by manipulating, manipulating her way into the good graces of another man while simultaneously lying to her husband. And that is what uh, Rosalia, the flamenco modern pop star, has built her second album out of. Um, if you don't know Rosalia, a good introduction would be the videos to the song I'm about to play, uh, Malamente, and uh, the other accompanying uh, track that I can't remember right now. But uh, each song, 11 tracks on this album, each one is kind of a chapter inspired by the book. And Malamente is the opening song. What what I love about it is that it's kind of got this flamenco thing going on because she is studied uh, flamenco um, artist and uh, she has brought flamenco into the 21st century in a way that I've never heard before and maybe somebody else has done it I don't know but it's kind of it's pop music that mm. is in totally doesn't um, ditch the flamenco style um, I'll play a song in a bit as well that'll give you a better representation of all of that but this is uh, for introduction purposes this is uh, Malamente the song from Rosalia see her performance at the MTV EMAs over the weekend I didn't know it's incredible it's like whoa fuck here's a new pop star um, all of a sudden out of nowhere um, she does this amazing performance um, with loads of dancers and she's wearing leather and it's all mad and cool and the, and the dancing's really cool it's like all of the things that make really great pop music is all in it and the video itself for the song is so cool we talked about it a few weeks ago um, and the album is very very uh, in a similar vein it has that marrying marrying that um, modern pop sensibility with R&B and flamenco music uh written and made in collaboration with the producer El Guincho who uh, was uh, an art, a Barcelona artist in his own right um, a few years ago um, and uh, was would have got a lot of uh, features on Northern Nine in the back in the day and also the likes of Pitchfork as well just kind of made kind of tropical pop electronic music and uh, really cool so it's nice to hear him back as well but she is the absolute star here her voice mm-hmm. is uh, incredible and she uses the form of flamenco music to as a starting point and a template to do things that you know most people can't do with their voice uh, there's a song in here called Baghdad uh, and she said it was inspired by an erotic club in Barcelona called Baghdad and by Crimea River by Justin Timberlake which she actually interpolates into the melody and uh, he heard the song and said she could use the melody so uh, it's that kind of good yeah <laughs> um, so originally the album's concept about based on the book was inspired by was her university thesis so 
There you go. Um, it's just a really, really fascinating. It might take a while for you to get into if you've never listened to something like this before, because it is a totally different style that personally I'm used to. Mm. Like flamenco music is not something I would ever gravitate towards, but I think she does it in a really interesting and intense way that uh, I just find it really, really um, uplifting and really magnetic. Um, a good example is one of the songs, the fourth song on the album, De Aquinosales, I think it's called. Um, it has these motorbike sounds in it and a lot of hand clap percussion throughout the album as you can hear on the last song and on this one. That's my like, favourite part of the album is all the, <laughs> I I've, I've, I've a thing for using hand clapping as percussion yeah. and I, I love it on this. I think she does it really well. Well, here's an example of uh, the kind of more less pop style, but also how she brings in this kind of uh, weird motorcycle rhythm thing in a um, low end into the song. flamenco music and brings it into something that's totally uh, informed by deep like kind of almost rap low end and uh, mm. revving engines and just something that I don't think I heard before in in that way and I just love that uh, aspect of it um, very unique um, and I think we'll be hearing a lot more about Rosalie in the next year for sure mm. um, as evident by her MTV performance over the weekend and this album as a whole it is Rosalia El Malquere. Uh, do check it out. It is really, really, really interesting and uh, very unique, for yes. sure. So that's it for albums of the week this week, and that is almost it for our show. Um, as is customary, I will ask you: Have you been uh, listening to anything else or watching anything else this week? Um, so I finally started the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Um, and I can happily say that I absolutely adore it. It is brilliant. Um, really, really, really loving it. Um, it's just spooky and fun and dark. The aesthetic is pretty. It's just, it's it's an easy watch. It's great. Um, I was also gifted um, Anthony Bourdain's uh, Kitchen Confidential uh, for my birthday. Oh yes, it was your birthday was, last oh, week. Yes, Happy oh, birthday. Thank you. Ooh, um, so I was gifted that right very kindly um, for my birthday and I've started reading that and it is brilliant. It's like 
you know, his, his big expose on the restaurant industry. And he's so, it's actually, it's an interesting addition of it because it's, it's Kitchen Confidential as is. And then it's got, um, added in, uh, like margin notes from Bourdain of like things that he still agrees with now, or like, no, I don't feel this anymore. Or, oh, this, this guy turned out to be an asshole or just like stuff like that was amazing. Um, and then listening to, um, I actually, um, not me, my boyfriend discovered and passed on to me um, an album by a country artist called Lucinda Williams, who I wasn't familiar with before. And we have both been very much enjoying her uh, her 2006 album, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, um, which is genuinely one of the most stunning albums I've ever heard. And I'm, I'm not a country music person at all. Um, but I, I really, really recommend uh, taking a listen to that. It was one of those things where we were we were flicking through the Thousand One albums to Hear Before You Die, landed on that page. And then it just so happened that day Pitchfork had done like a look back to the album or something. We were like, okay, this is a sign. We need to listen to it. We listened to it. It was stunning. So that's, I think that's all the, all the media I've been consuming this week. Very good. Um, yeah, listen to it. I've never really listened to her, but I just know of her. And yeah, she, oh, she's shit cool. Oh my god, cool. Uh, I went to see Bicep last week uh, in the Olympia, which was pretty epic. Um, they had a huge stage setup full of uh, nice LED screens, and it was just a really good show. Um, I've been watching <laughs> the last season of House of Cards. Uh, Is this the one without Kevin Spacey? Yeah, oh, not, I didn't realize it had come out. Oh. Um, it's kind of like it's. I don't know if I'm enjoying it. I don't want to give it too much away if anybody okay. hasn't watched it yet. But it kind of dispenses with the, you know, House Cards always had this highbrow thing that was going on. It never really was a highbrow show. Yeah, uh, yeah. but it's kind of completely dispensed with that now okay. uh, in a way, and it's just kind of straight up soap opera. Is um, his um his wife? Robin Wright Penn is she like foregrounded she's she's the president in it now and (gasps) she's absolutely incredible is she yeah she was always the best thing about that show yeah she was always she was always brilliant in it um and it kind of, um, yeah, it's be, it's interesting. I'm definitely going to watch it at the end because I've watched five seasons of it so far. Sure, yeah. So, but I, at the moment, I'm about four or five in. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. Uh, it kind of takes these like cartoon villain turns that okay. not, not, he was always a bit of a cartoon villain in it, but it just feels a bit like everyone else is now. <laughs> like, and it kind of hmm. felt okay, obviously, pre-everything that we found out about Kevin Spacey, it kind of felt okay when Kevin Spacey was the cartoon villain because it's Kevin Spacey, do you know? Yeah, uh, and he was really good at that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's not like she's still who she is in, and who she was and she's not, her character hasn't changed an awful lot um, other than the fact she's talking directly to the camera now and all that kind Ooh. of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely worth a watch. Uh, anything else I've been listening to? Yeah, I've been listening to the very last album from O Emperor, um, which was released last Friday mm. a few about a month ago they announced that it would be their last album I actually missed their gig last Friday or Saturday I couldn't go to it um, but um, yeah it's a really really great album it's very unusual and weird and I love that they left it's called Jason I love that they left their career with this very strange cool record that yeah. isn't doesn't really sound like anything they did before but it kind of it is indicative of where they are at now and mm. it's very weird funky it's kind of like a Bad, bad, not good record, but psychedelic and odd and it's cool. It's very yeah. weird. Um, so I've been enjoying that a lot this week. So that's probably it from us this week. Uh, we are back next week with more stuff. I don't know what yet, but who we, knows? Who knows who could be on the show or who we'll be talking to or what we'll be talking it about. It could be anything. Could be You're going to have to listen. 
But we're going to leave you with a uh, a song from. Um, oh, actually, we should plug we should plug the MIA documentary. Oh, we're doing we, a thing. Yes, uh, Andrea is on the panel along with myself, and we are showing the uh, MIA documentary. Um, if you haven't seen it, it is absolutely brilliant, and uh, it's happening on Wednesday, twenty first of November. We're doing a kind of a special thing in the Gibson Hotel in conjunction with them. You get a dinner and a drink and a screening and a movie and... Um, and a chat. And a chat afterwards with myself and Andrea. And we've got Dean Van Wyn, uh, who writes for Irish Times and Pitchfork there as well. We have um, Dave Hanratty from Joe.ie and the No Encore podcast. And we have Lou Brew, uh, Louise Bruton um, from Irish Times and General All-Round Legend um, talking about the movie. So do come along. Tickets are available on Eventbrite for that. You can see all the links and stuff on 909.com for that. It's going to be lovely. And we leave you with a song from a new artist um, that we put out today on the website. Her name is Slane. Slaney, um, Slaney Power is her is her full name, as far as I know. Um, a really nice new song that I heard um, today, and just a song I really like. Her father drummed for Bob Geldof in Westlife, and her mother Shelley is a prolific songwriter. So um, her mother was also involved in writing some of this material with her. Uh, and this is well, that's rare enough, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is rare. It is very yeah. rare. Um, so maybe good providence. And uh, this is a song called "Recharge My Soul," which is really, really lovely. So we'll leave you with this. Bye. Slow it down Racing thoughts A joyride host Backseat driver Take a ride Gonna chill out Gonna hang out Where the energy flows Wanna stay there Let it spin now Let the good feelings flow Gonna ride high On a big wave Where the cool people go Wanna melt down On a sunset there's no one I know Gonna fill up on a good fight Gonna let myself go Gonna OD on a good life Let the bad feelings go Gonna reach out, wanna freak out Let the melody roll Gonna lie down on the watchlist And recharge my soul
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.